Welcome to the Queer Confidence Podcast, the podcast to help you become your most confident queer self. I'm your host, he, she, they, Coach Alex Ray, and I haven't always been this confident. In fact, I used to be super insecure. And through this show, I want to share with you what's worked for me, my clients, and my guests so that you can become more confident. Hello, hello, my unicorns. Welcome to our June bonus series. I am thrilled for this special bonus series this month um, because I am bringing on past and current clients. These are confident queers who you are going to get to learn from what they've been doing, where they're going, where they're at. I really just wanted to do this to have an opportunity for you to see people just like you overcoming the same things. Because I know, like I've said it a million times, if I can do it, you can absolutely do it too, but I really mean it. And I'm so honored that some of my clients have said yes to being here on the podcast and sharing their stories with you. So Today, we have our very first guest for this bonus series, Rafaela. She's been a phenomenal client to work with. We wrapped up back in April, and it has just been such a joy to see where she was when we started to where she is now. And so she's going to share a little bit with you about all of that today, but without me giving too much away... Hello, Rafaela. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Alex. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. I'm so glad to have you. Um, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're about. So my name is Rafaela. I'm a computer scientist and software engineer. I'm getting a master's degree right now in computer science. And I have a really big dog and I live in the country and I haven't always lived in the country. So I'm learning how to do things in the country, like take long walks and fix uh, big lawnmowers. So that's about where I am. It's an intersection of technology and country life. And, uh, and I am a confident queer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) I freaking love it and just before we got on to start recording you were telling me about how you're like literally fixing a riding lawnmower which is just (laughs) amazing (laughs) it's not amazing until it works (laughs) okay well (laughs) we'll have to get an update in a month or so (laughs) um so let's dive into where you started when you originally, um, when we originally talked last summer. Do you remember like the headspace that you were at then? Yeah. So in uh, March of 2020, the day that lockdown happened, I had very serious surgery. So um, I had my knee rebuilt and in an effort to uh, stay comfortable within the realms of the, uh, of people's comfort when it comes to surgery, I'd bones broken and things torn up and put back together. And I had to learn how to walk again. 
And mm-hmm. this was during the pandemic. So it also meant a lot of my my PT just went away and my medical support went away and I didn't have any um, of the support that I had planned on having from that surgery. So by the summer, I was not recovering at a rate that I expected to. And the surgery was, although planned um, because of a deteriorating health condition, something that if I did not get the recovery right, I was not going to recover. So I think I reached out to you, I think in July. I don't know if it was earlier than that. Um, I think so. That sounds right. Yeah. So I reached out and said, I I have this monumental mount. I have a mountain to climb and I need help figuring out how to get all the pieces in because this feels impossible. And Mm. I was physically broken, right? I, I couldn't function at my previous athletic space. Um, and before I had had surgery, we had, we had been running around gyms together and lifting weights together. So this was a, this is a new thing for me, not being able to walk. And, um, I was looking for some help in figuring out that, that way of keeping to a, a schedule and a goal that would help me heal my body. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was, I remember that being one of the biggest pieces of frustration for you was like, Hey, I am an athlete and now I am stuck in a freaking chair. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And asking, like having to ask for help for like basic things. Yeah. It was just ridiculously frustrating. Um, Tell everyone a little bit about what like your athletics and stuff too, because you've done a few things. Yeah, so I um I've 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 done a bunch of different things, <laughs> but my passion has been uh, martial arts. Uh, for the past few years, I've been studying uh, Northern Shaolin Kung Fu, and I also did some uh, Krav Maga training. Uh, in the months leading up to my surgeries. Uh, and a friend of mine, a couple friends of mine, and I taught a women's self-defense course. So it was about uh, using your body and your voice and your power to keep yourself safe. Um, so my athleticism and my physical expression has always been like a little aggro, <laughs> I guess, mm-hmm. right? Like it's about moving, it's about boxing, it's about using my body, it's about being fast, it's about using, I have to be on my feet. So all of that was gone, right? Right. With the surgery, like, um, and this was part of the reason I needed to have the surgery. That's the complication, right? I did so much damage to my body, to my knee, repetitive damage doing martial arts, but then I needed to fix my knee to be ever able to practice martial arts, which brought me so much joy. And as a quick fun aside, martial arts, uh, Kung Fu actually means uh, hard work over time. So it became a mantra Mm. to me about uh, the idea that I could accomplish anything with a certain amount of hard work over time. Uh, So that was my like positive upswing of my athleticism. And then my body got cut open and broken and it was gone. Um, In addition to martial arts, I was also uh, getting into weightlifting. That was Mm -hmm. pretty fun. Uh, That was something we were doing together. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was pretty awesome. So, like, about power and strength, I think. Yeah. It was amazing, too. Like, your lifts were getting consistently 
uh, heavier every single week. And yeah, you were, you were rocking it and, and you were in pain often too and pushing Mm -hmm. through. Like it was not your style to slow down for anything. (laughs) It's like, y'all look out. Raphael is coming. She she knows who she is. She's strong and she's gonna get it done. Um so really like you were thrown so out of your element in a lot of ways mm-hmm. with the surgery. Um yeah, and I remember like that first call, we really we talked about okay, what do you what needs to happen? And you're like, I, I have to do this, all of these things. And I've also got work and school and balancing all of them. And I'm just so freaking exhausted. But also I know that if I don't do this, I'm going to be able to barely walk again. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that. And so it was very much like we were at like a crisis moment of like, okay, this is a matter between of like, the rest of your life being functional or not. And it had to really, um, it, you had to stretch in a way that was so new and uncomfortable for you because you could not do the athletics that were, you were so passionate about anymore. Um, what was, what do you think was the hardest part about the recovery process? I think it was the dependence on other people, right? So in the same way, like I speak so proudly of my, of like my athleticism, it's all like this power that I'm doing on my own, right? Mm. And this was a, I, I had to, thinking about this and thinking back through the, the, the year and the, um, physical therapy, one of the worst things in physical therapy is I would have to go in and my physical therapist would take my knee and just bend it past where I could physically bend it. So I was completely at her, like I needed her to do this for me and Mm -hmm. it hurt and it was painful. And it was like this metaphor of the entire process in my life where other people were pushing me and my body in ways that was like, ah, I'm not used to that yet. I don't yeah. know how to do that yet, <laughs> but I yes. have to do it now. So I don't, the reason you have to do that when you're recovering from like a major surgery is you don't want that um, scar tissue to develop. Mm-hmm. And if, if I can wax like metaphorical or poetical or whatever expression one is supposed to use, uh, I feel like we get that scar tissue in people too, right? In our like emotional spaces where if you don't push past the comfort level you develop this kind of space that keeps you locked into certain kinds of emotions or or self-thought or cycles so yeah i think the hardest thing was relying on other and that vulnerability of saying hey i need this help right yeah both that phone call i made to you going to my physical therapist having to call you had, I had to call my roommate for help when I was taking a shower. Like, you don't like things like that. Right. So, um, it feels like you're not strong, Mm -hmm. but those moments of vulnerability and that like breaking that scar tissue builds up a strength or 
healing in a different way. Did that answer your question? I got a little. I love that metaphor. That's beautiful. (laughs) Cause my next question was going to be, both of us are very similar in that we naturally hate asking for help. And that's why I'm so great at working with clients like that, because I know, I know what it's like. I'm like, yeah, I hate asking for help too, but that's why you're fucking here is because (laughs) we're going to like make progress together because we both know, even though our brain is like, no, don't ask for help. We both know that it's essential sometimes. Mm -hmm. Most of the time it's essential. So I don't know what advice would you give to somebody that's struggling with that, that they're like, I want the result, but I hate asking people for help. I think the advice I would give is think about yourself as a different person. So like sometimes when I'm being hard on myself, be like, you should be able to do this yourself, right? Or I should be able to do this myself without asking for help. Would Mm. I say that to a friend? Would I say that to a child? Would I say that to a person who is struggling? Would I ever look at somebody I loved and say, don't ask for help, do it on your own? I would never say that. So why would I treat someone I love differently than I would treat myself? Yeah, that's fantastic. So So good. That's the the advice. (laughs) I love that. That's some solid advice right there. Um. Tell us a little more, bit more about too, like, you know, so we worked on that, right? We, one of the things, you know, obviously we started on working with the life balance there and giving attention to those things that you did not want to slow down and do. But then we also quickly evolved into realizing like, oh, there was like some crap with work too. Yeah. That was. Yeah, absolutely. So I think what happened, I think that's a great way of putting it, right? Like the slowing down, we said, well, work is a thing we have to put on. We, I have to carve out space from work so I can heal my body, right? Mm-hmm. This is a long-term thing. But then I was like, why am I so stressed all the time and carrying all this like heavy things around? We need to figure out that balance and ju- not just in order to do PT, not in order mm-hmm. to heal my body, but in order to heal all these other parts of me. I need to figure out what's going on with this like blob of work that is making me so incredibly stressed. Yeah. yeah. What was that like? I don't know. Give everyone like a, cause all of us are so similar. Not all of us, yeah. not everyone is, you know, I know that there are a lot of people that don't put work first, but. Right. <laughs> but I, but I do, I put work, well, yeah. I put work at least in, rating or because it's something I do eight to 10 to 12 hours a day. If I'm mm-hmm. not doing good balance, hopefully eight hours a day. And I, I love it. And I love pushing my mind and I love being in, in a position where I can at the end of the day, be very happy with and proud of what I did. But instead of that kind of healthy ambition, which is integral to who I am as a person, it had become this mountain of a thing I was dreading in the morning and a thing that was that was causing me physical pain and I was dragging out through the night. A thing that happened to me instead of something I woke up with and said, this is a thing I'm going to actively do. And, mm-hmm. and lean into the fact that I am an ambitious person and I love work, right? I'm not yeah. just going to put it to the side, but I have to conquer this like kind of 
weird space that's making me dislike it. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I remember too, when we started working on it um, and we were, we were looking at like, Hey, this needs to slow down. And, and you realize that work was giving you so much uh, identity. Mm -hmm. Right. And your biggest concern about like slowing down or not making it so much a part of your identity was that, well, then if this doesn't give me drive, if achievement, yeah, if achievement doesn't give me something, like, how will I keep progressing if I actually feel good? I think that's such a hard, and it's connected, right, with my my fears when I, after surgery and I couldn't do martial arts, I couldn't do weightlifting, I couldn't do these things that were achievement-based, right? And I couldn't keep Mm -hmm. driving at work, so I would get this achievement and the that who I was as a person, who what I was valued at, the quantity of love I deserved was how much I achieved in any of these Mm -hmm. things. The good, the the best I could get, right? The, The best I performed would be in ratio with the love and value I would receive. Mm-hmm. And that became for so many things, things happening to me, right? This like transaction where I would I would do and then someone would decide, oh, well, you get to be loved now. You get mm-hmm. to be important now. In any of these fields, right? Like it's a shift in thinking in every way, right? You could still be a really ambitious person that works hard. Where you're doing, but my identity, my value, my worth doesn't come from being a really ambitious person who works hard. That that I'm bringing into the room, mm-hmm. and I'm working hard, and I'm doing my thing, and I'm leaving the room at the end of the day with that sense of value that I brought into the room instead of waiting for someone to give it to me. Yeah. So what you're saying is... <laughs> It, to actually give yourself self-love before the achievement doesn't ruin your ambition. It does not. <laughs> love it. At all. Right? Which is what we're so afraid is going to happen. We're like, well, if if I'm nice to myself, then I'll probably just be a worthless blob and do nothing. <laughs> so um, a month? Is it a month when I went on that big hike? About a month? ago yeah i think it was yes i think so so i i was just you made me think of that because a month ago i went on a hike and oh i guess it was march it was exactly a year to my surgery when i tried it the first time and i went on a hike and instead of walking into this being like what i would have done a year ago before all Mm -hmm. these conversations i would have walked into this and be like this is something i can conquer and I'm going to climb this mountain. I'm going to make a, I'm going to prove something. And then I'm going to be worth, I'm going to be the person who climbed a mountain. I'm going to be worth something, right? Mm-hmm. But instead, I was like, I love myself and I am a powerful person. And I'm going to walk up a mountain. And it's a shift. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you talk about this in when you're doing coaching, right? Where the verb comes, <laughs> like, what am I saying wrong? You know what I mean? 
say keeps keeps saying it. I'm, where the belief comes, does the belief come before the action, or the action comes before the belief? Oh yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you have to. the The belief always comes first, right? And then we right. act, and yeah, yeah. So I feel like I went into. So I went to go on this hike, and I was like, I'm going to climb a mountain on my new body, and I can finally climb. And I started walking up a mountain, and I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. It was too much. It hurt too much. The sun was coming down. So I walked down the mountain. And because I hadn't gone into it with the expectation that my value came from that success. Mm-hmm. And I know on some level I did, right? Like I wanted to make it up the yeah. mountain, right? I don't think that's right. ever going to go away. But because my value as a person didn't come from that, when I was walking down the mountain... I had, instead of spending that entire time beating myself up and hating myself and being like, look at how worthless I am that I didn't achieve this thing I sent out for. And that's the only thing that gives you worth in life and proves that you're worth loving. I got to take this really beautiful walk where I was with myself, who I love, who I'm proud of, and being impressed that my body was able to carry me at all. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I made it, and I was like, I was rushing against... um against the sunset and i still made it out in time you freaking did it was amazing and then i tried again Mm -hmm. and it didn't happen a second time and the third time i actually got up the mountain right but all of it wasn't and it was beautiful and i got to the top it was an app Annapolis Cliffs, we've talked about this. I don't understand mm-hmm. how to podcast. Like, we're talking to each other, but for other people. So how much right. context Just... do I give? I don't know. <laughs> so Annapolis Cliffs is beautiful. There's a great vista. The third time, I made it up the mountain. But once again, because it wasn't about proving myself, it was a thing I was doing that I knew I would be able to do when I could do it. It was mm-hmm. beautiful. And I wasn't distracted by feelings of, am I good enough? Because I knew mm-hmm. I was. Yeah. Even before the achievement. (laughs) Yes. Right. So it's definitely not like you achieving it doesn't rely on having to beat the shit out of yourself if you don't do it. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do you hold space then for how did you hold space for the achievement coming later? Oh, that's interesting. So I guess the way I did it is I thought about, I viewed the the failing as this learning experience of growing. So I was like, this first mm-hmm. time, oh, I was like, oh, this, this part of the walk was hard and I want to walk this way next time. I want to make sure I have this or that. It was this interesting growth. And then it became this kind of excitement. Like, when is when am I going to be, when is my knee going to be strong enough to do it? Is it going to be time two? Is it going to be time three? Right? It, it was an exciting process of witnessing myself become stronger instead of punishing myself for not making it in, in a certain schedule. So holding yes. the space by like kind of like a witnessing the growth and the learning. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it was totally different because I remember when when we got on that call and I was like, how was the hike? And you were like, I didn't make it. <laughs> and we, I asked que- questions about it. I was like, okay. And you said, but I'm so glad I didn't make it. 
and here's why. And you start telling me about the whole experience. I was like, yes, there we go. <laughs> that is like, I think if there was a, um, like a shining star of like, here is the growth. It was that it was being able to see the see achievement in not actually finishing it yet and to love yourself through that whole process to fail at getting up the mountain and then like all the way back you had so many brilliant lessons um that you were like wait and this was a good thing and this was a good thing and this was a good thing and i'm so glad and you weren't a year before that you were not in the space to be able to see that and it was so neat to hear you make that like 180 there um so for our listeners who are very achievement focused right that are still really looking to achieve in order to feel worthy of love what advice would you give to them you're you're never going to find satisfaction that way because it's always dependent on other people. You're never going to feel complete that way. If you're waiting for, if I do, if I'm, if I'm strong enough or fast enough or smart enough, then I will get that love. I will get that validation. Uh, it's you're putting that power outside of yourself, and you and especially, mm. I, uh, I'll share from my experience. Right, I'm a a gay woman in spaces that aren't made for me right? If I'm constantly waiting for validation from people outside of me, it's not going to happen. I need to walk into the room and say, I already, I'm already proud. I already love myself. I already am confident in my ability and confident in the fact that when I fail, I will learn something new, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because if, if you're waiting for that, that feedback, it will never fulfill you. Yeah. One of the things that I think about too with that is like, even if we do get the feedback that, oh, you're doing a great job and our, but our primary belief has been, I suck. Right. (laughs) And we've been using the, the negative self-talk to try to motivate ourselves. Then when those other people actually do give us positive feedback, we're like, you're lying. It's not true. Right. (laughs) I've been telling Mm -hmm. myself I suck forever. Right. Like, no, you're wrong. You clearly don't know me. <laughs> um, yes. Okay. So tell us a little more, bit more about what it's like to be in the tech space. Yeah, I guess um, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, one of the things that happens when you're a person in a space that you're not supposed to be in. As you walk Hello, into a queer room, people. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. You walk into a room, uh, full, you, you go into a tech conference, right? And people are going to talk to you. A bunch of white, cis, straight men are going to talk at you about coding. And they're going to use particularly gatekeepy language. And they're going to sound like they all know each other. And you're going to walk into a room and you're going to scan. And you're going to try and find people who look like you, who sound like you, you're going to attend their lectures and there aren't a lot of them, right? So you're Mm. like, okay, you're feeling othered from the beginning. 
right? And this is the importance of representation. You're like, I am so different than everyone else. And you hear on all these different places on the internet, luckily not in my workspace, but some people have this experience in their workspace and you hear that women don't know how to do math. Girls can't code, right? So you're hearing that in one ear, you're seeing, well, this is probably why there are no, there's so few women in tech and science and math. And then anytime you make a mistake, you go, I am carrying a proof that women can do math. And me failing in any way is proving that, yeah, you're right, we shouldn't have been at the table. And that is so much weight. And I didn't even realize I was carrying that weight around, right? I had to be doing 110%, 150%, because if I did it in any way, I was proving those guys right. I was proving every boy who had looked at me and said, you can't do math, every Reddit person who said, that's why girls can't code, everyone, on, and if anyone's listening who is in tech will know, anyone on Stack Overflow who is treating me differently because my handle had a girl's name in it, right? I was proving them all right if I made one mistake. And the thing about coding, programming, computer science is you're going to make a ton of mistakes because it's a field that is changing every day. Everyone's going to make mistakes, but you're not allowed to when you're not a white cis straight man. You're not allowed to make mistakes visibly. And that's so much weight to carry around. Mm. Um, and, the, and it's an example of why like it that passion and that energy and that excitement and that validation can't come from outside of you because and and you can't hear hear this you're going to hear it one ear even if you hear in one ear you're great you're hearing in the other ear from half of the internet you're not or <laughs> most of history you're not right yeah so it's hard i have in my entire upper level education, like undergrad and graduate education, I have had two women teachers, professors. Hmm. Um, and I don't know, and I've had no outwardly or open gay professors in all that time. Uh, and I know that I've also... <laughs> I'm, I am dealing, if we think about this in an intersectional way, right, I'm dealing with an incredible amount of privilege being a white person in tech and in science and in math. So for, for folks who aren't, that's, that's even harder. That's even another thing that you're carrying um, that's keeping you out of an industry where we need voice. These are the voices that are shaping the future. That's making the things we're going to do, making the cars that we're driving, making the tech yes. we consume. That has to be intersectional. That has to be representative because it affects all of us. And mm -hmm. math is literally, like, math cannot be gendered. It doesn't make any sense. It's numbers. Everyone can do numbers. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> You don't suddenly not able to do numbers because you're gay. I mean, I can't, like it didn't happen to me when I got my card in the mail, but like, <laughs> can you can you tell I have a I have a little bit of a I have some strong feelings about being a queer woman in tech, and but I know, which is why I thought it would be so fine in the first place to do this podcast with you because. There are other queer people in tech that are like, I've never heard anyone have this conversation before. And they're like, thank God someone's talking about it. 
So what advice do you have to those for those for for the other queer people in tech? So on the theme of what we were talking about, that like inner strength, when you walk into a room, you're always going to do that scanning. You're going to find people who look like you, who sound like you, who think like you in a room. But you got to walk into the room already believing that you are you are there, you are meant to be there, and that you are a leader in that space. You, mm. you have to come in doing that. Um, find people. There are groups. There are, uh, I think, Girls Who Code DC and Baltimore. Um, there are 50 Queer Scientists is a really cool uh, thing on Instagram, which is connecting different STEM folks. Uh, it's fantastic. I highly recommend that. And it's doing connections, but also highlighting different like um, GNC and queer queer scientists. So finding those connections and those spaces that you feel safe to be vulnerable and discuss how difficult it is. And I would say, um, be kind to yourself. Making a mistake doesn't mean like, like I was saying, like carrying around feeling every time I made a mistake, I was, I was letting down women. Right? I was letting right. down queer people. And you, you can't, that will tear your heart out. Like that is just, you are, you have to be kind to yourself because the world isn't all the mm. world isn't. There are people in the world who will be, but you have to love yourself and be kind to yourself first. So you are walking in like, not already broken to something that's going to be hard. Yeah. Yeah. What advice do you have to somebody to that, like is feeling all of this weight and responsibility? What's your opinion on that? The fact that you're in the room already proves should prove to yourself that you deserve to be in the room right like yeah. i feel i feel like i waited for so long for someone to look at me and be like oh you made it you're good enough you're good enough coder i was like i made it into the room i don't need somebody else to tell me i'm good enough i made it into the room already so me failing if if joe smith it writes some code that has bugs in it we don't say all white men can't code. No one does that. That's ridiculous, right? But we do this to ourselves as folks who are <laughs> not allowed in the room. Why are we doing that to ourselves, right? Like, they already want to do that to us. Don't carry that into the room for mm. and do that to yourself first. I freaking love that because that changes everything. Like, if everyone else is already doing it, okay, right? That's a problem in and of itself. But... If you carry that in, mm -hmm. that right away is solvable, right? You don't need to yeah. wait on anyone else to, like, change their opinions or anything. You can right now just let that be their problem instead of carrying that in with you and then beating the shit out of yourself when you are a human. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was going to say when you mess up, but like, um, hello, humanity. That is what we do. <laughs> we make mistakes. If I can add one more thing, and I think I said this earlier, it's like in math or science, any STEM field, 
failure is a part of the process of research. Like you literally want to get data and you're like, this data doesn't fit my hypothesis. That's fantastic. Because I get to come up with a new hypothesis, right? I'm going, or I'm going to try and write the most efficient algorithm. Oops, it didn't work. Cool. Now I know what doesn't work. I mean, like, you have to think that way. Mm. Like, that the failure is a process of learning and and growth, or you're going to be bummed all the time because, like, 90% of what you do isn't going to work right. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. So you really get to decide whether you want to be in agreement with, you know, the other people in the room or not. And even that is a thought, right? If we actually took a survey, I'm curious, like, actually how many people in the room are saying you don't belong? Yeah. We don't know. We Because our brain decided before we even entered that we didn't. And then it was like, oh, I'm sure everyone's here looking at me like, I don't belong here. Yeah. Yeah. What impact do you want to have on the tech industry? Oh, that's a, it's <laughs> a big question. Um, aside from, you know, solving what are the million dollar question questions, uh, the P equals NP complexity theory. That's a joke for other people listening. <laughs> no, um, I was like, my- what? What are you talking about? Yeah. (laughs) So I want to use technology and science and computers and math to make the world better. And by better, I mean, I want it to be a place where people have space to love each other, to feel love, to like radically be like, radically be kind to each other this is like the process in learning how to be kind to myself and then looking at things that are broken to the world is making me want to make spaces where people can be kind to each other and, and and vulnerable and honest with one another and i think in that process if i as a gay woman can as a queer woman can be in that space and say hey Hey, little gay babies, come here. (laughs) Come learn how to write code. Hey, women, you are really good at math. Math is totally ungendered. Hey, we can work on, um, we can work on all this tech that helps folks who are uh, gender nonconforming or trans work on identity and using tech to like make safe spaces. I want to use technology and science and math to make safe, loving spaces that build everybody up. That's what I want to do. Why'd you put me in a corner to answer that question? (laughs) Fucking love that. Yes. Yes. And, you know, so often we want to look at the space. Like, I don't see anyone like me there and make that a problem that needs to be solved before we go there. And what I think is beautiful about what you have decided to do is like, yeah, there aren't other people like me there. That's why I'm fucking going because I'm starting (laughs) the new standard. So for those other people in our community who want to go step into a space where they don't see representation right now, they are going to go be the person that creates the representation for others to follow what do you what would you 
offer them. So I'm going to uh, tell a, tell a metaphor. Okay. Um, you know, the phrase blazing a trail, like we trailblazers, mm-hmm. right? You call yeah. someone a trailblazer it literally comes from the idea of marking a blaze when you're hiking that mark that tells you what the trail is, is a blaze, right? So the mm-hmm. trailblazer is the person who goes ahead and marks the tree, right? Mm. And if we think of someone who's a trailblazer as a person who's going ahead into this unknown territory and they're making a mark on a tree that keeps people kind of safe, it lets people know how to get home, it makes it a little bit easier for the person behind them, right? Other people are going to have to maintain that trail, they're going to have to make it uh, a little wider, a little more accessible, make the blaze. But there's that first person who's saying, I'm not just running into, I'm not running into the woods, just so I can get somewhere. I'm running into the woods and marking where I'm going. So other people can follow behind me and other people can get home and be safe. Mm. So sometimes when I'm walking into rooms or spaces that I feel nervous about, and I feel like impostery about, right, I, I, I do that kind of like muscle by identity, I go, I belong here, I'm strong enough to be here, I'm smart enough to be here, I'm, a, I'm already at the table, I don't have to ask for permission to be at the table. I walked up to the table, I brought my own chair, and I'm sitting there, right? And I'm yes. doing that. And I'm dealing with that uncomfort because maybe next time I'm going to have a chair already there and someone's going to be able to sit there because I put that chair there. Mm. And I think, I think any, I think most people, but especially folks who are uh, in marginalized communities, we know what it's like to be left out and we know what it's like to be hurt. And relying on that part of our hearts that wants to make it a little bit easier for someone next to us. So they don't have to go through what we did. Um, That's a very strong part of it. I don't know. It's a strong part of my identity. And I think it's something that I've seen. Um, So it helps me gather my strength walking in and, and blazing trails to think that I'm making it softer and easier and more accessible for folks behind me. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> so good. Um, I wanted to ask you, what do you think your biggest transformation has been in the last year? Oh, well, I already talked about climbing a literal mountain, Alex. i mean maybe that's the most that maybe that's the biggest transformation what about your mind like what is your biggest mental shift from coaching oh i think it was definitely and we've been touching on it along the way but this idea like belief always comes before action and that my value right i had this idea that my value as a person was a thing that came after i did enough so Mm. i instead of bringing my belief to the action, a belief that I belonged at the table, right? Like even the way we're talking right now, the the fact I can kind of jokingly say, but mean it, right? Oh, no one invited me to the table. So I showed up and I brought a chair and I sat down, right? That's me in a space that I don't belong in now. And that was not me a year ago. Me a year ago was waiting to be 
told I was allowed to, I'd achieved enough to walk into a room. And that has resulted in greater confidence at work. It has resulted in better communication in my life. It has resulted in like me liking myself, which at the end of the day, better than work, better than any kind of physical achievement, better than anything, right? Me thinking I'm fucking awesome is like the best achievement I can get out of this. And it really came, I think, from being at such a low point after the surgery, right? Mm -hmm. And having to stop and be so dependent and building up from that even if my mind had been there for years, I needed to like physically have to dig out of that and realize this like, and it, it, it came, it came too with um, finding that balance with work and with life. All of that was reflecting in, I bring my own value to the table. I walk up to the table and I put my own chair out, right? It's not coming from, what I achieve at work, what I achieve uh, athletically, what I achieve from my friendships, right? It's not transactional. I'm bringing it to the table and I already believe it about myself. Yes. Such. It's been such a huge shift and it, it's like, it's also really fun to watch as your coach because <laughs> I know it from the beginning like I, I saw it within you from day one. As soon as you got out of your own way, I knew how you were going to start showing up. And it was like, yeah, hell yeah. All the, all that was there before was just like a bunch of stupid doubt. <laughs> we just had yeah. to clear that out of the way. And like, hey, here's the authentic you. Here's the real Rafaela. Then here is exactly what she came to do. And she's known it. She's just been stuck in the doubt and, and holding back. Yeah. She was always meant to be the per the trailblazer, the person that grabs that chair and goes to the party and makes a space for herself and for all those coming after her. It's amazing. Amazing. Um, so tell us a little bit quickly what's uh, what's next for you. Well, so I just moved to the country yeah. and I'm learning how to fix lawnmowers. But <laughs> aside from that, I think next for me um, is there's uh, some school things that are coming up talking about the re like that space of confidence and identity. Mm -hmm. uh, I was able to kind of trace down some research opportunities that I wouldn't have let myself do because I wouldn't have thought I was good enough yet to do, Yay! which was pretty exciting. And I'm, uh, I'm trying to take some inventory, some personal inventory right now and some space to find those moments of joy in nature and those moments of now that I can't just slow down because my body literally doesn't work. I have to, <laughs> I can't just get a surgery every time I need to slow down. Right. Uh, so <laughs> I'm trying to find moments of uh, now living in the country, living in a more rural area, finding spaces in nature and uh, the beauty of what is around me to slow down and have those moments where I sit with myself and I'm comfortable sitting with mm. myself. Now that I think I'm like, 
one of the coolest people I know. My own company's fantastic. Um, yes. And in all, ser- in all seriousness, though, too, I really want to spend, I'm in the conversation about what I want to do in tech, uh, about making those spaces for women, for queer folks. I'm trying to get together. I'm in the, in the beginnings of an idea of a, a nonprofit um, that's going to be about connecting people into spaces that make them feel safe and empowered. So stay tuned. Let you know how that that's, that gets off the ground. Heck yes, please. Um, as soon as that comes out, we're going to have to do another podcast and we'll <laughs> just share about that as like a resource and everything for everyone because that's just that's just amazing. That's huge. Love it. Um, I really would love to close out this episode with you sharing that new stage. And um, I don't know. Do you have it in a, a text message or do you want me to read it? Uh, you should read it. Okay. Or would you rather me read it? I want I want you to read it with like all the okay. drama, okay? But basically to set the stage for our listeners real quick, the very last call as we finished out our um our package, right, was I asked you like what do you call this new stage? And to my surprise and delight, you were like <laughs> That's <laughs> see Gideon even is excited about it. You were like confident queer. That's yes. who I am. And then you're going to read exactly what you, what you said, but it was just a very powerful, like, what does that mean to you? And I just want to want everyone to know as they're listening to this, that what is true of Rafaela is also true of you. This is possible for you. So if any of these things start really resonating with you as she's reading them in a slow, dramatic voice <laughs> with all the <laughs> emphasis and power... Know that she is no different than you. I'm no different than you. We are queer people. You are capable. And this is possible for you too. You are a confident queer. Just got to strip off some of the old bullshit programming that's keeping you hiding. So, everyone, I will see you on the next episode. And I'm going to hand the mic off to Rafaela to close us out. So, I am a confident queer, which means to me, I am here. I've got knowledge. I've got an accurate gut instinct that I can trust. I am at the table. I'm coachable. I take initiative and I'm a leader. I am a person who does difficult things and I am a thought leader. If you enjoyed this episode, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with a friend so they too can become more confident. You can also help more people find the show by leaving a five-star review wherever you listen. And if you want to become a more confident queer with support from yours truly, head to coachalexray.com or use the link down in the show notes. I'm looking forward to working with you.